Yuxuet Saratim Tek Tahtim Henkatek Yukhutian Sasaru. Hi, I'm Andrew Coletti, and welcome back to From Eggs to Apples. In this episode, we're investigating the cuisine of the ancient Egyptians. Unlike a lot of the other cultures that are featured in this series, the Egyptians did not write a whole lot about their food. Uh, we don't have any ancient Egyptian cookbooks. We don't have primary written source material that tells us what the Egyptian diet was like. But what we do have it is a lot of archaeological source material. In Egyptian tombs, we can find a lot of foods that were left for the person for the next world. And we can also learn about what they were eating based on studying their remains, studying their mummies. For example, looking at the teeth of ancient Egyptian mummies shows damage to the teeth from a lifetime of eating sandy bread. So we know that Egyptian bread often had sand in it, unavoidably. Egyptian bread was one of the major staples of their diet. Um, another staple was beer, and beer making and bread making were very closely linked together. They were viewed as extensions of the same. So today we're going to be making a form of ancient Egyptian beer, and we're also going to be making another Egyptian beverage that has an interesting history connected to this ancient civilization. Hi, I'm Fiorella, and I'm a registered dietitian and foodie, and I'm fascinated by ancient food culture. Today we're going to talk about the ancient Egyptians, and much of what we know about their food comes from their funerary meals encased in their tombs. The two main staples were bread and beer, and among all the social classes, they ate these two staples every day. Also, the Nile River Valley was abundant in fruits and vegetables, and the Egyptians raised cattle for dairy and their meat. Now, Egyptian doctors were known to be the best in the Mediterranean. They combined magic and medicine to heal. Because they thought illness was a consequence of sin or an angry ghost attacking the body, they dealt with magic as healing the body through incantations, aromas, amulets, and tattoos. On the other hand, they were quite advanced in medicine. They performed surgeries, understood the benefit of cleanliness in prevention of disease, and understood food and diet to heal as well. Today, Andrew is going to make two ancient Egyptian beverages, and I'm going to go set the table, and we will see you soon. So to make our ancient Egyptian beer, the only ingredients that we are going to need are barley and wheat berries and also water. Now this is pomegranate juice, which we can add at the end if we want to make red beer, um, since one possible way that the Egyptians made their red beer was using pomegranate juice. So to start, we're going to be making a porridge out of the barley, and we're also going to be malting the wheat berries, which means we're going to sprout them and roast them. Now these are called red wheat berries. They're harder than other types of wheat berries. Those are the ones that I would recommend for sprouting. Egyptian beer was made from bread, uh, just like beer from other ancient Near Eastern cultures. But we also know from analyzing archaeological evidence, like vessels in which beer was produced, that some Egyptian beer was actually made from a porridge rather than bread. And so that's the type of beer that we're going to be making. There's going to be one very ancient type of grain, barley, which has been cultivated in the ancient Near East since very early times. And the other type that we'll be using is wheat, or wheat berries. So these are what's called red wheat berries, and these I find work better for this recipe because we have to malt the grain, which means that we have to allow it to sprout and then roast it. Um, the very first step in order to sprout your grain is take your wheat berries and just soak them overnight in water. Um, after soaking them overnight, you're gonna drain them 
and then uh, keep them in a glass bowl or a glass jar, kind of like this one. And for the next one or two days, you want to make sure that they remain moist, but not submerged in water. Um, so just keep adding a little bit more water if you need to. Um, and also, you, about once a day, you can stir them to make sure that they get properly aerated. After about one to three days, you should have sprouted wheat berries. So the sprouted wheat berries will look like this. And as you can see, they have like lots of little tails coming out of them, little roots. These are actually more sprouted than you even need for this recipe because these have been sprouting for several days. The reason that we would malt the grain, the reason that we allow them to sprout is because the sprouting actually causes chemical changes in the structure of the grain, which will change the flavor of when we ultimately use it in the beer. So take your sprouted wheat berries and you want to spread them out on a pan or a baking sheet. You want to make sure that they are separated from each other so that you uh, have some space between because we're going to be roasting these until they are totally dry. Also, if you have any extra sprouted wheat berries, you can eat them. Just put them in salad. Um, so this is pretty much what it's going to look like, and I will put this in the oven at 350 degrees, and we want it to be totally dry and totally roasted. So after a couple of hours of roasting, your wheat berries are going to look like this. So as you can see, they're now really brown. Um, they're also going to have a really nice smell. Uh, it's very nutty, and it reminds me a lot of the smell of roasted barley flour, which we'll be using in another video. The final step uh, will be to grind these roasted wheat berries in a food processor or a blender. You don't have to grind them totally into a fine powder, uh, but just enough to kind of chop them up a little bit. And then we're going to add them to our final beer. So. The preparation of the wheat berries will take a few days, but the barley is very quick because all we have to do to the barley is cook it into a porridge and then combine these two different ingredients. So I have here a pan full of water and I'm just gonna bring it to a boil. Now the ancient Egyptians of course had many different types of beer and they used various different flavorings in their beer, different herbs or honey or all kinds of ingredients. Um, there's one particular flavoring that we're going to try out, which is a red beer. Um, we know that red beer was consumed at a special religious festival called the Festival of Drunkenness, when beer was, of course, the thing being celebrated. Um, red beer commemorates a story about the goddess Sahmet, who has the head of a lioness and who's very fearsome. And in this story, Sahmet was devouring people and rampaging around the countryside. And so uh, the Egyptians, in order to placate her, they tricked her into drinking these barrels full of beer that had been dyed red because she saw the color and thought it was blood. And when she drank all the beer, then she just fell asleep and stopped devouring people. Um, so Egyptians would drink red beer during this holiday to commemorate this. We're not entirely sure how they dyed their beer. The two main theories, one is that it's pomegranate juice, which is what we'll be using, since this was an ingredient that would be known to the Egyptians. The other possibility is that they may have used a type of clay called ochre, which has a very reddish brown color from the mineral hematite. Uh, but since I don't have any of that, I will be using pomegranate juice. All right, so now that my water is beginning to boil, I'm gonna add the barley and for this, since this is gonna be fermented into our beer, we don't need to add any seasoning or anything like that. And we also just need to cook the barley until it gets really, really soft and mushy.
So if you were brewing beer in a modern method, you might be adding yeast. Um, but of course the Egyptians didn't have powdered yeast the way that we have today. So they would use, uh, in order to start the fermentation for their beer, they would be using starters, like a culture of beer in the same vessel that had already been made, and they would just keep adding more ingredients to it. The Egyptians were aware that if you make beer in a vessel in which you've already previously done it, it's easier because there's a culture of bacteria or fungi that's in there. Um, so if, for instance, if you were a brewer in ancient Egypt, if you were moving your place of operations from one place to another, you would take your same brewing equipment with you because it was easier to, than using something totally new. Now, the yeasts that are going to be fermenting our beer um, are just wild yeast, basically. Just whatever's floating around in the air is going to be collecting in here and is going to sit when it ferments. Now the alcohol is produced as a waste product by the yeast. Basically the yeast is going to eat the sugars that are present in the grain and they produce alcohol as a waste product. Ancient Egyptian beer, since it was the staple that people were drinking throughout the day, it doesn't have a very high alcohol content. It's just, just a small amount of alcohol. Although there certainly would have been beers of different strengths in ancient Egypt. The different strengths um, is because of different strains of yeast that can tolerate different amounts of alcohol. Like if you've heard of brewer's yeast, which is what people use to make beer today, it's different from, for instance, baker's yeast that you use to make bread, because brewer's yeast can actually tolerate more alcohol. If you try to make beer with baker's yeast, the little packets that you would use for making bread, it's not going to work because the yeast will die after there's a certain amount of alcohol in their environment. Um, but brewer's yeast can tolerate much higher amount. I can already tell that the barley is starting to get softer, which is good. All right, so this is starting to look like a porridge. Um, most of the water has evaporated. It's gotten kind of thick from all the starch, um, and the grains are pretty much soft now. So I'm going to turn off the heat. And before we can add this with the wheat berries, we have to let it cool, but we don't want it to get completely cold. So instead of, for instance, placing it in the refrigerator, you can just leave it out at room temperature um, until it gets warm, warm enough that you can touch it still. Now, once the barley porridge is warm and the wheat berries are finished being roasted and you've ground them up a little bit in a food processor, then you can combine them. So you can combine them together and then add a bunch of water, uh, like six cups of water, I think, for this recipe, which will be all the quantities and everything of this recipe I will make sure to include. Um, but once you combine everything and then cover it with water and in one container, you can just leave it and let it sit. You want to leave the no lid on the container, like have it be open to the air. What I've done is um, put it in a glass jar and leave the lid on the top but unscrewed so that there's still some air that can come in and out. Because we do actually want air to come in and out. We want the microbes, all the yeast and everything to enter and uh, start fermenting. So this is the final product. This has been fermenting for about five days now. So it's been sitting for quite a while and you can still see inside the jar um, the brown is the wheat berries and the whiter color is the barley. And if you open this up, you'll notice there are some bubbles at the top. So those bubbles are the sign of fermentation because uh, the, the microbes in there are producing carbon dioxide gas as well as a small trace amounts of alcohol as they, as they eat the sugars that are present in the grain. 
Um, you'll also notice that this is very lumpy and soupy looking, and this is pretty much the texture of ancient Egyptian beer um, and other Near Eastern beers like Mesopotamian beer. If you look at artwork from the ancient Near East, people often are actually drinking beer with a straw. Um, which would be made from a reed. Or you'll see uh, clay vessels that people use to transport beer that have little strainers built into them. So the fact that it was very lumpy and soupy was, a, was definitely a reality of it. Um, and now if you taste this, you'll find that it, it's quite sour, um, which is also a, a product of the fermentation. You could strain it if you want, uh, if you want it to be more of a, of a modern type of consistency, or you could leave it as it is and just drink it with a, with a straw uh, for the full ancient Egyptian experience. And of course you can mix it with some pomegranate juice, which is what we'll be doing later when we bring it to the table. For our second ancient Egyptian beverage, we're going to make the ancient Egyptian ancestor of horchata. And you may be thinking, horchata, isn't that from Mexico? What does that have to do with ancient Egypt? So the answer has to do with this ingredient, which is something called a tiger nut. Um, tiger nuts are not actually nuts. They're little tiny tubers and they grow underground. Um, but if you eat them, and you can just eat them plain like this, they have a very uh, sweet texture and a lot of fiber. And it's a, similar to the experience of eating an almond or something like that. Um, but tiger nuts are native to Africa and they were cultivated by the ancient Egyptians. And we also know that the ancient Egyptians used them in a lot of desserts. They would combine them with honey and with different other ingredients. Um, we also know that tiger nuts were used to make milk by being ground up with water. Um, we don't know exactly that this was done by the ancient Egyptians, but it definitely dates to at least the Middle Ages. And um, it was the, the Umayyad Caliphate, the Muslim uh, conquerors who took over Iberia, Spain, um, in the Middle Ages who actually brought tiger nuts to Spain. Once the custom of drinking tiger nut milk became popular in Spain, um, it was later brought to Mexico by the Spanish, and there, lacking tiger nuts, they started making a beverage using rice milk, and that was the origin of horchata. Um, but the original version of horchata, which is called horchata de chufa, which is the Spanish word for tiger nut, is still consumed today in Spain. Um, so, did the ancient Egyptians drink horchata de chufa? Possibly, um, since they did cultivate tiger nuts and use them in their desserts, and since it's so easy to make, I think it's reasonable to guess that they might have figured out how to do this. Um, all you have to do is take the tiger nuts and soak them in water overnight. Um, mine are already soaked. I've also reserved the water that I soaked them in because I'm gonna add it back into the, the mixture. Um, I'm gonna add some honey to make it even more sweet. And I'm also gonna add some spices that would have been used by the ancient Egyptians. This is fennel seed and coriander seed, um, since cinnamon would not have been uh, an ancient Egyptian one, That'd be most commonly used today. So all I'm gonna do is add these to the blender and um, I'm gonna grind up the spices first before I add them, but I'm gonna add the other ingredients and then we'll strain it and chill it and then you can drink it.
I'm gonna add the spices after we strain it so that we don't lose any of the spices by straining. Tiger nuts, as I mentioned, have a lot of fiber, so there's gonna be a lot of like rough um, material left over. So now I'm just gonna pour this mixture through the strainer and press out as much of the moisture as I can. And I'm also gonna add a little bit more water, this container maybe. And this is the exact same procedure that you would use to make any sort of nut milk, like almond milk or soy milk. Let me actually use my hands to press out more of the liquid. So I'm just gonna keep pressing it until it's basically dried out and we've collected all of the liquid. Another thing that I've noticed about homemade tiger nut milk is that it doesn't have a very long uh, shelf life. It tends to go bad pretty quickly. So make sure you drink it. All right, so our tiger nut milk is almost complete. Um, so now we can just add, I'm gonna add a little bit more water um, to dilute it some, and then I'm also gonna grind up the spices and add those as well. some more water and I'm also going to add a spoon. Add my own spices. All right, so our ancient Egyptian style horchata is ready to be chilled and then it's ready to be served. Andrew, what do you think of our ancient Egyptian table? I love that we have so many ancient Egyptian fruits and we also are featuring bread, which is an important uh, staple of the Egyptian diet. And today you made another important staple, which is the beer. Yes, and actually some Egyptian beer would be made from bread, but this type of beer was made from a porridge using both barley and wheat. Ah, and so it was made more for its nutritional value than for inebriation. Yes, because in a society without modern sanitation, it's actually safer to drink a fermented beverage like beer than it would be to drink unpurified water. What we also know today about fermented beverages and fermented foods is that they have a high probiotic bacteria in them, which helps with immune system and extracting nutrients and overall health. Yeah. So that's really great. And I've also made another beverage. This is tiger nut milk made from tiger nuts, which were cultivated in ancient Egypt, and it's flavored with fennel seed and coriander. That, and I can smell the aroma of them as well. And tiger nuts are also very healthy, and I'm assuming that this is also for its nutritional value. Lots of protein and uh, fiber in them. So that's really interesting that they were able to make these milks. Yeah. So uh, should we try the beer yes. first without the pomegranate juice? Yes. Okay. 
You can also see the bubbles, which is a sign of the fermentation happening. Now you're skimming off the top, right? Not delving into the grittier. Yeah. I've <laughs> wondering how they would do it. You know? Well, because the Egyptians would use a, um, they would often use a straw or a ah. vessel that had like built-in strainer. Um, so mm. I'm just taking the liquid off the top because um, their beer was very lumpy. Wow, fantastic. So this is with no pomegranate juice. Cheers. Hmm. Oh, I, I, not the usual, as we know what yeah. beer is, but I can see that this is very, offers a very nutritional, um, caloric value to their day. It's a little sour and it's pretty thick actually. It's yeah. an interesting texture. Really interesting. Now a little it. of the pomegranate to yeah. liven this up and this was for festivals so yes. they could just make it look prettier. And it goes without saying the nutritional value of pomegranate juice yes. with its antioxidants, of course. Mm -hmm. It's better with the pomegranate juice. I like it better with the pomegranate <laughs> juice, absolutely. It's good, yeah. It's really good. Mm -hmm. Let's let's try the yes, tiger night. That nut seems milk. great. And when was this drunk? Um, well, so tiger nut milk is not something that we officially know that the ancient Egyptians consumed, mm. but it, we know that it was made in North Africa, at least going back to the Middle Ages. Oh, great. Um, so it's, it's certainly possible the Egyptians would have mm -hmm. drank this. Mm. Oh, very much like the horchata that yeah, you mentioned. Yeah, I taste the fennel and the, the coriander. Very nice. Listen, some of this over ice I think would be a nifty little drink, right? Mm. Yeah, definitely. So thank you so much for joining us. I'm Fiorella. And I'm Andrew. And this is From Eggs to Apples. Ancient recipes in a modern kitchen. We'll see you soon.